great to uh, add my welcome to that of uh, Julius. I'm one of the leadership uh, team here, and it's great to have uh, visitors with us, uh, mainly, of course, family of Gordon Liz, but I think there's one or two other visitors as well, and you're very welcome. Uh, I don't know about you, but I don't get I don't get many uh, I don't get many personal letters these days. Very few people write to me personal. I get the brown envelopes and I get the envelopes with the printed labels on the front, those sort of things. But I don't get many personal letters. I guess partly because of uh, emails have taken over. Uh, so if you'd like to encourage me, send me a personal letter. That'd be very nice. I'm the the one who opens the post because Kim's not usually there when the postman arrives and uh, so if there is a personal letter that's the one I will always open first of all and uh, if I don't recognize the writing on the front I'll immediately tear open the letter and the first thing I'll do is look at to see who it's from and then I'll sometimes realize that actually by the person who it's from it obviously is not for me in the first place and so I have to try and put it back in its envelope and I did that with one or two of Chris and Rodney's le letters after we moved in, but um, they used to occupy the house before us. Letters. Well, the New Testament contains quite a few letters, and we're going to be looking at one of them this morning. Many of them are letters written to churches, but this letter is written to an individual. So before we read any of that letter, which we will do in a minute, we'll uh, just think, who is it from, who is it to, and what? is it about? And this is partly because we started looking at it last week and I realized quite a few people here this morning wouldn't have, uh, weren't here with us last week. First of all, so if, you, if you've got your Bibles, and I don't know the page number, I 1191, okay. And if we turn to the beginning of the letter, so that's uh, letter 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 1. Their style in those days was to write, which I think is a very good idea, right at the beginning they'd say who the letter is from. First of all, we put it at the end, but in, in those days begins with who it's from. And so we read in verse 1 that the letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Saviour and of Christ Jesus our hope. So the letter is definitely from Paul. Paul who has become an apostle, a messenger of Christ Jesus, to take the gospel message around his world to as many people as he possibly can. Now, how has that happened for Paul? Let's just remind ourselves. Paul was, was a religious fanatic. And you could say he became a religious fanatical extremist because people who disagreed with what he believed was true, he was willing to go after them, not just confront them, not just have verbal arguments with them, but he was willing to get hold of these people, families, children, have them thrown into prison, and some to even be killed. Some things don't change, do they? That was Paul. He was a religious extremist in his day. And he was particularly, of course, up against Christians, because he was a Jew, and he believed that these followers of Jesus Christ were heretics, and they need to be stopped. And he was going to stop them any way that he could. But we read that about that in verse, uh, what, chapter 1, verse 13, if you've got your Bibles open. He said, even though I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. He was shown mercy. How did that happen? Well, 
We have the phrase, don't we, the Damascus Road experience. Sometimes people talk about having a Damascus Road experience. People talk about seeing the light. Well, both of those phrases refer specifically to Paul. Because on his way to have Christians arrested and put into jail, he meets with Jesus in a very direct way. He meets with Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ tells him that actually he's got a very special purpose for him. And everything changed in Paul's life. So from being a persecutor of Christians and one who is willing to kill them, he now becomes one himself. And he starts taking this message around the world. And that included to Turkey. And it was in Turkey, in a place called Lycra, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Um, I think that's something you wear, isn't it, Lycra, actually? Um, if you go running or whatever, I don't do any of these things. Um, but in a place called Lycra, he meets Timothy. Timothy's probably only a teenager, late teens maybe at that point. Timothy hears the message about that Paul is preaching, and he himself believes and becomes a believer, a Christian. And then Timothy joins up with uh, Paul and goes on some of his travels, etc., very dangerous doing that. There were other people like, like Paul had been who were seeking to persecute Christians and to kill them and to have them put in prison. In fact, so Paul, the end of Acts is in, uh, end of Acts, uh, the, the book of Acts is in prison in Rome because he's a Christian. Well, he's released from Rome, uh, from prison in Rome, and he goes on another journey and he goes with, he goes with Timothy and they call in at Ephesus. And this is where we pick up what the story is about. Because in verse 3 of chapter 1 it says, he says to Timothy, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, etc. This is the whole purpose, actually, of the letter. The whole purpose of the letter to Timothy is to tell him how to live in Ephesus and how to deal with these people who are teaching false doctrines. We hear a lot about fake news. Well, they were teaching fake gospel. They would take, they were, these were people who, who were Christians or had been Christians or whatever, but they started to distort the message. They started to change it. They started to tell people things like that they needed to obey the Old Testament law. It wasn't good enough just to believe in Jesus for your salvation. You needed to do certain things. You needed to become a Jew. If you became a Jew, then that was okay. Or they started to teach, actually, that you needed to follow certain disciplines, certain ascetic practices. If you do these things, that will be okay. That will make you okay with God. And therefore, the gospel message wasn't now for everyone. The gospel now was just for the special few, the chosen few. And Paul says, this is false. These people should not be teaching this. And Timothy, you need to stay in Ephesus and you need to teach and live by example what the true gospel is. And that's what this whole book is about. Timothy, stay there, teach the truth. And then we're going to hear a bit of that. So, so Chris is going to come and read to us the first seven verses of chapter 2. Yeah, so 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 7. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, 
intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time, and for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Thanks, Chris. So there is a bit of the letter, but it's a very important part of the letter because it sets out, in a sense, in contrast to what these false teachers were teaching, it sets out what Paul believed and taught and what Timothy is also now to teach. Timothy at this stage is probably in his early 30s. Very, very young man, at least from my perspective. Okay, so what, first of all, does he say in the beginning of chapter 2? He says, first of all, pray. And pray for everyone. Pray for everyone. That's to include those in authority. Okay, here's your, here's your history question for today. Who was in authority in Rome at the time that Paul was writing this letter? We don't know for absolute certainly, but almost certainly we do. No? Good guess, but no. Somebody else? Who was the Roman emperor at that time? Nero. What do we know about Nero? Well, Nero was not a nice man. <laughs> That's what we know. Nero was a terrible guy. He had, he had people killed at a whim, and he had it in for Christians particularly. And uh, he's the one we think may even set fire to Rome for his own personal gratification or whatever else. So Nero, and yet here, here Paul is saying to Timothy, pray for people, even in those in authority, particularly including those in authority, kings and emperors and all the rest of it. Pray. And he, he says pray in a sense for them that we might live quiet and peaceful lives in all godliness and holiness. Is he saying pray that we just have a good, easy time? <laughs> I don't think he is. I think he's saying pray that we might live lives that show peace. Peaceful lives. Godly lives. Another word for godly would be Christ-like lives. He's saying to teach the people in Ephesus, the Christians, to live like this so that people might be attracted to the truth and to the, to the, to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I think in, in our society, uh, in, in the Western, Western world, particularly true in UK, um, many people have rejected Christianity. Many people. They don't want to know. Why is that? We're often, we're quite spiritual in other ways. People s go into all sorts of spiritual fantasies and things. I was buying a, a, a picture from a lady when we were on holiday in St. Ives last week, and while I was looking at a picture, she was talking to the next lady to me, and she was talking about all these spiritual energies, you know. We've got to wait for the energy, and when we get the energy, then we can make the decision. And this lady here next to us, to me, seemed to understand fully what she was... People go into all sorts of spiritual st stuff. Most people have rejected Christianity. Why? Well, I don't think it's because they've rejected Jesus Christ. I don't think they know about Jesus Christ. 
not taught. They don't hear anything. They reject Christianity often because, well, one for various reasons, but one of which is perhaps sometimes what they see of Christians or what people who claim to be Christians. Paul says to Timothy, pray for everyone. Pray for everyone. Why should they pray? Well, we read that as well, because it says, this is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Pray because it pleases God. Why? Because he wants all people, everyone, to come to know him. He wants everyone to be saved. You see, these, as I said, these false teachers were teaching that it was for the few, the special ones. The gospel, actually, is for everyone. This passage, therefore, tells us something about God, doesn't it? It tells us that God is concerned about every person, every individual. Everyone, everyone matters to him. He wants everyone. There's no exceptions here. However bad, whatever else, whatever culture, whatever, everyone to come to know him and to be in relationship with him. He is compassionate. He's merciful. He's good. He has wide open arms. Wide enough to welcome anybody. And he wants to welcome everybody. It also tells us something about us, though, doesn't it? If, he's, if it's saying that God wants everyone to be saved, it's telling us that we need to be saved. Otherwise, it wouldn't be there. I remember once we were on a beach and... Uh, Watching, and we saw this young lad in, a, in an inflatable dinghy, not very far out, and he was playing around, having a good time in his inflatable dinghy. And, um, and then we saw the, this dinghy slowly moving out, and it wasn't long before not just we, but others, and particularly his parents, realized that this dinghy was caught up either in a current or by the wind, and it was moving away from the beach at a fantastic rate, faster than anyone could swim to get it. And so we just sat there and we watched this dinghy go right, with this little lad, go right out to sea. And all you could hope was that he would stay on the dinghy. Stay on the dinghy. Thankfully, he did. He stayed on the dinghy long enough for the rescue helicopter to be called and to come out and to drop the ropes with a guy down, pick him up, take him back into the helicopter. When this guy, when this lad was in his dinghy paddling around just a few meters out, he didn't realize he was in any danger. He didn't realize he was going to need rescuing. He thought everything was fine. He was having a great time. He didn't realize that he was being caught up and he was going to be taken somewhere that he, that he, and what he soon himself, no doubt, realized that he needed rescuing. We need rescuing. We need rescuing if we're going to come to God, because this life, this life is not the only life. This age in which we live is not the only age. 
the Bible clearly teaches us that this we are made for eternity. And we need rescuing if we're going to spend that eternity with God. God wants everyone to be saved. People from all nations, all backgrounds, all cultures, all religions, even those religious Christians. People who think they're Christians by following certain practices. I remember hearing, I, I don't know if I've said before, uh, I've been reminded this week of how God speaks to people. I remember uh, hearing the, uh, that young uh, black imam, Muslim imam from London, guy who was incredibly religious. He just led the Friday prayers in his mosque. And God spoke to him. He was, he was searching for the true God. But search, and he believed Allah was that true God. And he was searching. And he heard a voice he didn't expect anything to happen. He heard a voice simply say to him, I am Jesus. Come and follow me. He thought he was going crazy. He couldn't believe it. How could this happen? And then he heard the voice repeat the same words. I am Jesus. Come and follow me. And that was the st- not the end, but that was the start of him coming to know Jesus Christ for himself. And today, praise God, there are thousands of Muslim people coming to know that they Jesus Christ throughout our world. They're still Muslims by culture and all the rest of it, but they're Muslim followers of Isa, of Jesus Christ. And that's marvelous. It's even happening here in Gloucester. There are Muslim people. We're hoping I get one of them to come and speak meet up with us in church here in the not-too-distant future. People from Muslim backgrounds who've come because many of them are sincerely seeking, sincerely, and they do it far more sincerely than in many ways than we do. God wants everyone to come and follow. I was talking to a Christian leader in, in, a, a, who's, uh, in a church. They wanted to plant a church on a housing estate. They got plans, but they didn't know how to do it. One day, he sa- I said, so how did it start? He said, well, it started, it was of God, he said, because what happened was a guy just came up to me and said, who'd got masses of problems, alcoholism, dysfunctional family life, everything was a complete mess. He came to him and he said, I know I need God. God has told me I need him. What do I do? That man became a follower of Jesus. And then some of his, through him, family members and friends... And that's, God wants all people to be saved. Everyone. How does that happen? Very quickly, let's look at verse 5 and 6. Verse 5 says, For there is one God. For there is one God. In Ephesus, I've been to Ephesus. I think it's the only place in the Bible I've been to. That's <laughs> mentioned in the Bible. Well, I think Spain's mentioned in the Bible. I've been on holiday in Spain, I think, once. But Ephesus, um, Kim and I did go to a big city. Big city. Got a stadium that seats 30,000 people. That's bigger than St. Andrews, where I go, right? So this, this was a big city. And uh, mind you, not no, I said any more about St. Andrews. Um, Ephesus, big city, big culture, lots of temples, lots of different gods worshipped. And um, uh, many gods, many gods with a small G. 
But Paul is saying to Timothy, there is one God. There is one true God. Many gods, but only one true God. What are the first words of the Bible? What are the first four or five words of the Bible? Genesis 1, chapter 1. In the beginning, God, next one, God created. Before This world is God's, right? That's what the Bible teaches from beginning to end. This world belongs to him. All the people and all the things in this world, not just this world, but the universe, are all his because he made them. They belong to him. And he, he therefore wants all these people that are, are of his creation, he loves them. He wants to know them. Right at the end of the Bible, we read these words. Not the, quite the last verse, so it's almost ex- just time with the, the last verse. Revelation 22:12 says, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. So the Bible teaches that this world was created by God, but at the end of the day, all of us will give account to God for what we've done. And that's also taught right throughout Scripture. What sort of account will you give to God for your life? What will I give? What will my account look like? You know, very quickly we say things like, I'm not too bad. <laughs> I'm not too bad. My wife will tell you otherwise. <laughs> well, I don't know. Um, we say, I'm not as bad as those guys driving those trucks who did those terrible things. I, you know, I haven't killed anybody. I, I, haven't, um, I haven't committed any serious theft. I, may have theft. I may have pinched the odd biro from here and whatever else, but I'm not that bad. The question is, are you that good? Are you, uh, am I good enough to be with a good God? A perfect God, a holy God, a God of truth and justice and righteousness. Perfect in every way. Am I good enough for him? I don't know about you, but I know. I don't, I'm kidding myself. I know I'm not. And my wife knows I'm not. And most of you know I'm not. I'm not good enough for him. One God. But thankfully, he doesn't stop there, does he? He says there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. A mediator, the man Christ Jesus. A mediator, another word for that, is negotiator. He says, th- he says there's one negotiator. Where do you need negotiators? Well, you need negotiators wherever there's two people or two groups of people or two factions or two nations or more than two, it doesn't matter, who actually cannot agree. They're just too far apart. They just cannot, they cannot agree with one another. They, will, they hate each other, whatever else. Into those situations, if there's going to be any way forward, you bring a negotiator. You bring someone who says, I will try and bring these two people, these two nations, these Protestants, these Catholics, whatever else, I will try and bring them together. I will try and act as a middle person. And I will try and bring reconciliation and peace, agreement 
Who is going to reconcile you and who's going to reconcile me to a holy God? Who's going to do that? We're so far apart, it's untrue. There's just no, the, the Bible said, what does light have to do with darkness? Can the two, can the two live together? They can't. Who's going to reconcile me to a holy God? The answer's in this verse. The man Christ Jesus, the God-man, the man who was God, the one who was God and became man. He wasn't a half-man, half-God. He was holy God and holy man. That's what the Bible teaches. And he came. When we think of that verse, don't we? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not, have, should not perish but have eternal life. How can he bring us together? How then, how then is this Jesus Christ going to reconcile a holy God with a selfish, sinful people? How is that going to happen? How can, he, how can he make that happen? Well, the answer's in the next verse. There's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, a ransom for all men. We know about ransoms. Well, we don't know too much about ransoms in this country anymore, but there's many places in the world where ransoms are paid regularly, sadly, because people are taken hostage, taken prisoners, simply so they can obtain a ransom. You might know about the stuff in the news at the moment about Qatar and the problems there in that Middle Eastern country. Well, one of the issues, only one of the issues that's caused the problem is that Qatar is reported to have paid a ransom of $1 billion US dollars for the release of some of the royal family who were captured by Shia militia then. A ransom of $1 billion for the release of some family members a little while ago, in the last year, I think. Big ransom to get their royal family back again in one piece, or some of them. What ransom does Jesus pay? Is it more than a billion dollars? The man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all men. A ransom for all men. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. He gives his perfect life as a ransom for all our selfish lives. I don't know if you've read the... I don't know if you've... There's a book that my dad had and passed down to me. It's called The Miracle on the River Kwai. Some of you older ones may have well have seen the film, read the book, The Bridge on the, of the, Over the River Kwai. It's true stories based on Japanese prisoners of war who were having to build, who were captured and having to build a railway, huge railway through the jungle in the, in the Far East. Terrible, terrible conditions, terrible deprivation, they reckoned 80,000 um, Western Allied prisoners lost their lives on the building of that railway. It was absolutely awful thing. Well, there's another book written called The Miracle on the River Kwai, written by a Scots soldier who was captured. 
Ernest Gordon, age 24. And he tells about the, it's called the Miracle on the River Choir because what happened in this camp of total deprivation, where things were just so bad. And one of the things that happened that started to bring about the change was this. Every day, parties of prisoners would be taken out of the camp to do their construction work on the railway. And when they were, they were with, obviously, Japanese guards, and the Japanese guard would hand out to the work his work party the tools, the tools that they would need for that day, pickaxes, shovels, whatever else. And at the end of the day, he'd bring his work party back home. He'd watch them all day. They'd work all day in that terrible heat and whatever else. He'd bring his party back home, and then he, they would count, as they came back, they'd count in all the tools, and then the party would go back into the prison, into the camp. So the party come back and they count the tools. And the Japanese guard counts the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine. Should be ten. Counts them again. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine. A tool is missing. A shovel is missing. And he says, who's got the shovel? And he doesn't say it like that. He screams and shouts, probably because he's going to be in serious trouble. Nothing else. Who has got that shovel? Nobody says anything. He said, give me the shovel now or I kill you all. All of you. All die is what he said. I kill all. And he picks his gun to shoot the first man in that team. And he would have gone on and shot a lot of them. But he picks up his gun to shoot the first man. And another man stepped forward and says, I took it. And at that point, the Japanese guard starts beating, beating this man, and he beats him to death with his rifle butt in front of all the other men. And then the other men in the team, in, the, in that group, carry that body back to the camp. And at the camp, they count the tools again. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. The Japanese soldier had just miscounted. The ten tools were there all the time. So why did the man step forward and say, I took it? He did it because he knew what was going to happen. That each of his fellow prisoners would die if someone didn't admit to doing it. He paid the price. He, if you like, paid the ransom with his life so that his colleagues might be free. And that's just a picture, a true story, but a picture, a small picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for each and every one of us. His ransom is priceless. His ransom is sufficient for every person that has ever lived on this planet or will ever live. His price pays for all, but each of us has to respond personally. How do we do that? Well, just a couple of weeks ago, we were looking on Pentecost at the sermon that Peter preached, and people who were listening to that sermon, that very first sermon, said, what shall we do? What did Peter say? Repent. Turn back. Turn around. Be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins.
This is the truth of the gospel message that Paul was so keen to preserve, that he told Timothy that he'd got to hold on to and teach other people, that it should not be lost, that it's not for the few, but it's for everyone. The God who made this world wants all people to be saved, to spend eternity is with, them, with him. He's made this possible through his son, the Jesus Christ, who gave his life as a ransom. All we have to do is respond to that. When Peter preached, 3,000 people who heard that message said, it's true, that's what we'll do. Today, across the world, not much in the United Kingdom, but in many other parts of the world, the, the majority world of the South uh, America, Africa, Asia, thousands and thousands of people to come to Jesus Christ because they hear that message and respond. What about us? Let's just pray together. I do pray, Father, that you'd open our eyes, all of our eyes, to the truth of your gospel. Truth of the good news that the God who made this world loves this world and all his people. And he gave everything that he could so that we could come to know you in this life and in the life to come to be with you. Lord, I pray that you'd, we'd understand that and that you'd speak to our hearts, and that, Lord, that we might also want to respond and believe in you, give our lives to you, become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask these things in his name and for his glory. Amen.